Hello Westwood, my name is Heather Wilford and I serve here as the Outreach Director. And I'm here today to share an update and an invitation with you. First, the update. On March 13th, as part of our This Is Us series, Pastor Joel shared a video from one of our ministry partners in Moldova, who's caring for hundreds of Ukrainian refugees. And Westwood, you responded with an amazing outpouring of generosity. Because of your gifts, we sent our partners above and beyond funding that will help them greatly. Thank you. Our partners have been working 24-7 for the last two months, so we're excited to be sending a ministry team later this week to serve them. The team will be the hands and feet of Jesus as they cook, clean, play with children, and care for the adults, and give our partners a much-needed rest. We'd like to invite you to support this team in two ways. First, join the Stay and Pray team to receive updates and prayer prompts as the team travels. Second, our partners have asked us to bring specific items like multivitamins. If you'd like to help with donating items and praying, please head to our website for details. And now, before Pastor Joel comes up, would you join me in praying for this team? Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you now to lift up this team as they travel to Moldova. God, would you go before them, protect them, and give them safety as they travel? Would you guide them to the people that you would like them to serve and minister to? Give them soft hearts and open eyes to see how they can be your light and your love and your hope to all that they meet. Would you give them opportunity to just bless our partners, Lord, to give them refreshment and rest. And God, would your love be what shines the most. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thank Heather for um, that word and that update. And thank you, Westwood, for being so responsive. We, you are such a high responsive church when it comes to those opportunities to pray and to give and to go as we have this team going to Moldova, which will bring great help to the partners on the ground there, but as well um, minister to refugees along the way. And you know that God is honored in that and thousands of refugees will be helped. So thanks for your responsiveness. Hope you'll engage in that prayer ministry while that team goes out as well. Let me formally welcome all who are online with us, as well as at Bush Lake to our new campus out at Mount West Tonka, and to all of you that are here. Last week was Easter, and it was so meaningful and so fun. I hope that you were here. I want you to know that we baptized just a little bit over 40 people in our services, and we give thanks to God for new birth. I mean... It just stirred my heart. Our last baptism was an 86-year-old gentleman, and it was his birthday. And he came out of the water with his hands in the air, and I go, wow, if you're 86 and have that enthusiasm, I'm all over that with you. It just seemed fitting to me that Easter is all about new birth, that the week following Easter that we would continue the theme, because as we long for new birth, so does creation. And creation is that opportunity for us to attend to what God has given to us in life and journey. And the creation that God gives, we're told in Romans 1, that it groans for renewal, for new birth, just like we do. There's a re renewal longing in the heart of creation, you could say, that there is um, a common misery with humanity that creation goes through, awaiting the day when the Lord returns and makes all things whole. That's the promise, that he will come and do that. And so our Heavenly Father has given this 
beautiful picture to us, and we want to be able to celebrate that and be with him in that as well. In a moment, I'm going to have meteorologist um, Paul Douglas come and join me. He's actually author, scientist, entrepreneur, business leader, first and foremost. Most people know him as a weather guy, but he's a climatologist, and uh, he'll join me in a conversation in a moment. I, I want to first lay down some biblical foundations to why we're addressing creation care. I want to come to this question specifically. Why should creation care matter to us? And let me pose it this way. Have you ever allowed someone to use something that you own and then when they returned it back to you, it was in poorer condition than when they took it from you or borrowed it from you? Have you had that experience along the way? It kind of stirs up a little bit of frustration, maybe some annoyance, and maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I'll let them ever use anything of mine again. I'm so glad that my dad taught me this valuable lesson that if you use something that belongs to somebody else, always return it in better condition than when you first borrowed it from them. Wouldn't you agree that's a good principle for life? Well, it's our Heavenly Father's desire and it's his way and what he teaches us that this is my world, I own it, you can use it, take care of it. That's the core of it. But let me give you three biblical foundations to, to lay down the groundwork for why creation care matters. The first thing is that all creation is part of God's handiwork. It's the work of God's hand. So we, we read in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That the earth you know, begins almost like a soup of nothingness, a bottomless emptiness where there is um, as Genesis says, it's without form or void. And you have this picture then of the Holy Spirit coming to rise above it and hover over it, and then the voice of God speaks into existence the world that we know. So now we get to enjoy and to celebrate when he says, let there be light and darkness, stars and planet, water and sky, fish and, and birds, and land and animals and planet. He just puts into existence things that did not exist before. And we celebrate that. We sang together in our worship time together the song that was written by um, Maltby Babcock, who is a, a, a Presbyterian scholar, theologian, pastor, and he wrote the lyrics to My Father's World. And if you really tuned into what we were singing there, you sense that he's very much caught up with the fact that nature is not simply a visible um, spectacle, it is an experiential delight. So his lyrics about listening ears and rustling grass, um, the idea of, of birds, their carols raise, he's bringing us into the experience, which is why in uh, messages past, I have encouraged you to go forest bathing. Remember I've encouraged you if you've been here for any length of time, I know it sounds so risque, what kind of pastor invites us to do such things? But forest bathing is a term that was coined by the Japanese. And it simply means spend time in nature, but don't just look at it. Be absorbed in the forest atmosphere. Experience that which God has given to us. Be attached, experience a fellowship with it in essence. So then all creation is part of God's handiwork, but the second biblical principle I wanna lay down as groundwork is that all creation belongs to Jesus, and we belong to Jesus, and therefore we care for what he creates. And yes, Jesus, the Christ, was there in the beginning with the heavenly Father doing the work of creation affirmed for us in Colossians where we read, for in him, Jesus Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, 
All things have been created through him and for him. And when we read this text, we have to take into consideration that Jesus is not just sitting on a throne like other leaders sit on a throne. He's not just another power or ruler or authority. In fact, they are created through him, by him, and for him. If you continue on in Colossians, it says he's the one who holds it all together. Can you imagine where we would be if he wasn't holding it all together? He holds it all together. He manages creation. He directs it. He is the super glue to the universe. And we give thanks to God for being all of those things on our behalf. In fact, when Jesus was asked, which one, uh, which one is the greatest commandment of all the commandments? Remember how he responded. We studied this in January and February together. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. So he gets real personal with the created order and its impact on humanity specifically. That loving our neighbors is part of caring for creation. Because um, most, the most um, impact on people uh, in our world tends to be those that are vulnerable to the changes that are taking place um, in climate and in the global warming that we're experiencing today, that, that the poor are the most, and the vulnerable and most impacted by this. In fact, I came across a term when I was preparing for the message. We're giving our attention right now to Ukraine refugees. By the way, there are over five million since that war broke out. Five million people on the move. We're living, by the way, in history, in the greatest migration of humanity in the history of the world. It's astonishing what's happening. And I learned of a new term this past week, for me at least, and that is climate refugees. Those who become refugees because of uh, their conditions. Bangladesh, where we have significant partnership right now in ministry, I pay attention to what's happening there, one of the poorest countries in the world. And in their low-lying areas, there are people that flee for their lives because of the rising waters. In the, in the world, there are, 20, are, are 21.2 million um, climate refugees every year. There are five million right now in Ukraine. And so we find that the, the refugee reality is going to increase for us by 1.2 billion by the time we get to 2050. And so we're called to love our neighbor, that caring for our neighbor, loving our neighbor is involving for us caring for creation. So all creation is part of God's handiwork, and all creation belongs to Jesus, and therefore we care for it. But the third biblical principle I wanna lay down for you is that all people are God's representatives on earth as it relates to our intersection with each other, but God's created order as well. But let me make this clear. We do not worship um, the creation. We worship the creator. We are worshipers of the creator, not of creation, and I say that because there are some people who do worship creation, and especially if they don't know who God is, because the beauty of creation draws their heart, because creation tells us of the glory of God, by the way. It's a testimony to the glory of God, but we worship the creator, and we have a responsibility in so doing with uh, that which he's given to us as we see in Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our own likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. I highlighted rule here. Rule in Hebrew is radan. And radan is a royal term. And it's in reference to those who have authority. 
and how they rule. And it's connected here, you'll notice, to being made in the image and the likeness of God. And Radan follows that. It's speaking to the distinction of the kind of ruling that happens here. This is not the ruler who likes to power over, who likes to conquer and divide um, land and people or to pillage the earth's resources. This is the ruler who powers under, who serves, who protects, who cares, who cultivates life. It's connected to the image of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ who is the cultivator of life. So we've taken that word to mean subduing and ruling over in a way that's more destructive, but that's not the intention of it at all. In fact, in Genesis, God instructs us how to care with four different verbs. We are called to subdue it, to rule over it, that we are called to work it, and as well to take care of it. And they each have a little bit of a separate meaning. I can't go into each of them, but I can tell you this much in the time that we have, that, that we are not called to be authoritarian in our expression of any of these things, especially subdue and rule over it. We are authoritative, partnering with God, being created in his image as his representatives to discern, and that word discern is actually part of the root of the the word to subdue. It's to be discerning as we're created in the image of God concerning the actions that would cultivate life. And let me give you an example of this on each of our campuses. At each of our campuses, we have a community garden, including our newly launched Mound Westanka campus. We have a community garden. We have a plot of land. We are called to subdue and rule over that land. And for, that, and for us, that means that we till the ground, we plant seeds, we, we water um, those seeds, we find ourselves caring for it, we're cultivating it until we come to that point where there's a harvest that produces a fruit that benefits people. And that's the picture that we've been given in this beautiful call to take care of it. And if there are weeds, you subdue it. You, you, you take out that which would harm it and keep it from growing. Or if by chance, I pray this never happens, buckthorn starts to grow in the community garden. Anybody have buckthorn problems in your yard? I've had that, I know. I've had hands go up on this deal because um, I don't know, is there a cursed plant? I dare not say. Buckthorn overtakes everything. You have to remove it. You have to prune it. You have to get rid of it in order that it would not stifle growth so that you can cultivate life. And that's what we're called to subdue, to rule over, to work it, to take care of it. That's the picture that's been given to us. So friends, we have this special calling. We have a special clothing, in fact. We're created in the image of God, in his likeness, to be his representatives on earth so that who we are and what we do benefits humanity, but also the world that he's created. So both and, not an either or. When we embrace the responsibility of that, that we are designed to, um, to conserve and to renew, not to deplete and to destroy. That we are designed to come alongside of people and protect human health and to provide for the vulnerable in the world, the poor and the disenfranchised in life and journey. That this is God's world and he says, use it and take care of it until I return to renew it. 
And that's an important statement because there's been confusion in church history because there are some Christians who say, well, why do we need to care about creation when God's gonna burn up the earth anyway? I'm a citizen of heaven. Why do I need to care about creation on earth right now because my home is in the heavenly realm? And both of those propositions are faulty biblical understandings. They've been misappropriated and misapplied um, in the journey. The idea of a fire burning up the earth comes from um, 2 Peter 3.10, and it's stated there, but the word fire is not a destroying fire, it's a refining fire. It carries the idea that we will be made bare, you know, laid open, and that the burning fire takes care of our old creation and reveals to us our new creation in Christ, and we're told in Philippians that he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. He will restore all things that have been lost. The goodness, when he created the world order and he said it was good, the fullness of that goodness is gonna be restored on earth and in heaven. And earth is part of the heavenly realm. Do not, dis, do not separate the two. That they, we get Eden back. That the restoration will be full and complete. So the earth is not going to burn up. We're citizens of heaven on earth now. So we take care of the created order in anticipation when Christ returns to make it whole and to make it complete. One final thought before Paul comes up, and that is an encouragement for you to seek getting the rhythm right, that there is a rhythm to this. And we are God's appointed managers and stewards and what a gift that is. And if I could give you three buckets in terms of the rhythm that we need to manage in our own journey, I think you'll find it helpful. The three buckets, first of all, is first one is consumption. There's a bucket of consumption, that which we consume. There's a bucket of conservation, and there's a bucket of contribution. And so in those three buckets, there's a rhythm to how we live and the choices that we make. So in the bucket of consumption, God gave us beautiful resources, abundant resources. We are to use them. God intended for us to use them but not abuse them. So we wanna be wise in what we use. And then conservation. How can we maintain and preserve what has been given to us so that there's plenty for others? And then contribution, how do we enrich the world that God gave to us? Planting trees and other things that uh, bring restoration as agents of partnership that God has given us together. And they all do matter. In fact, you might think to yourself, what difference would it make if I you know, managed the rhythm around those? Well, by yourself, you may feel like it doesn't mean much of anything, but the collective, the the cumulative effect of everybody stepping in is a profound impact in the world, and that's our invitation to step into it. And there's an outcome that becomes very special. I know Carrie and I, for a number of years, have been doing much better. It's on our radar. We steward with greater intentionality than we ever have the, the beauty that God has given us and around us. But what it does is it puts you in touch with God's creation so that you start to have a relationship. It's not something distant that you just have a view and you're removed from as we sang in the hymn, but we experience that relationship and the beauty of what God has. We care for it deeply when we start to take care of consuming and conserving and contributing in God-honoring ways. Well, to join me in a conversation that speaks to this even further is Paul Douglas, climatologist. There's a difference between weather and climate. He's gonna speak to that. And uh, he's become a friend here at Westwood as well. And he is an author, he's a business leader, he's an entrepreneur, he's got a bucket load of skills and capacities that are extraordinary, so grateful that he was willing to share this conversation with me today. I want his introduction, though, to be seen. Take a look at this video. 
Saturday, partly sunny, chilly, 38, 35 on Sunday. If we do get accumulating snow, it would be next Tuesday into Wednesday morning. Oh, boy. It's uh, 35, Paul Douglas, News Talk, A3-O-W-C-C-O. I had a great ninth grade science teacher who turned a weather unit into something amazing. That captured my interest. But at the end of the day, it was a tropical storm, Agnes, in 1972, that hit our home, flooded our home, and that is what set the hook. So I've been intrigued by the weather since I was 13, 14 years old. To be able to predict the weather, you have to know what's happening right now. Connecting the dots and then placing your bet on which weather model you think is going to be accurate. We really try to get it right. And we try to set expectations and we try to warn people when the weather could be dangerous, life-threatening. And you don't want to go overboard, you don't want to be accused of hyping the weather, but at the same time, you don't want to get the call from somebody who said, hey Paul, where were you? There was a tornado coming. Why weren't you on the air? Just above freezing, wet roads out there. And again, the uh, rain snow mix will be moving. So science is a guide to make smarter decisions, to lower risk, to improve our lives. But does that bring me joy? Does that bring me peace? No. When people say, well, Paul, religion is a crutch. I go, no, it's not a crutch. It's a leg that I stand on. It's part of who I am. I have a three-hour radio show. There's an opportunity to kind of reveal who you are. I work with Jordana Green, who's Jewish and shares her faith. And as a Christian, there are opportunities for me to share my faith and reveal who I am and why I believe what I believe. I'm a scientist, but I'm also a Christian, and I don't see any opposition. There's no conflict there. There's a place for science, there's a place for faith. So that's what I focus on, that you can have a respect for science and again, a faith in something much more. Science doesn't have all the answers, but my relationship with Jesus provides the answers that I need to go through my life with a sense of gratitude and purpose and realize that there's something much, much greater waiting for me, waiting for all of us. Would you join me in thanking Paul Douglas for being with us today? Thanks, Paul. Thank you. And on behalf of Westwood, can I say thank you for yesterday? I, I can't help but wonder, it's gotta be tough because you get blamed for so much. Has your life ever been at risk? Every other day, I, look, I wish it was cooler and windier right now. I, uh, yeah. yeah, yesterday's 74 degrees. It, it's hard, and it, look, I'm as disgusted by this spring as everybody else. Yeah. I just wanna go on record, okay? Well, we feel better about you. If already. I could march uh, with, a, with a picket sign, if it would help. Um, we are wired as human beings to react to day-to-day -day weather. We are not wired to react to long, you know, long-term slow motion changes in climate. 
Weather is sort of CNN headline news. Climate is the history channel. Yep. Uh, we've warmed almost four degrees in the Twin Cities since 1970. The winters, not nearly as fierce yep. as they were 30, 40, 50 years ago. Falls are warmer, longer. When's the last time we got to play ice hockey yeah. on area ponds and lakes on Thanksgiving? I remember that when I got here in the early 80s. So things are shifting, and it's good to be skeptical, Joel, about everything. I was skeptical about climate change, but I started noticing in the late 90s, early 2000s that the weather was playing out of tune. Yep. Something was off. Yep. There's a rhythm and a beauty to the atmosphere, and it, it was off by the, about 1998. There's a warming in the world that now is being accepted, and there's science to back it up. So yeah. speak to the science that backs up what we're seeing in the world today. We've always had changes in climate, right? We've had ice ages. There are periods it's been a lot warmer than it is now, periods it's been colder, and there was always a reason, a forcing, either changes in the amount of sunshine reaching the Earth, uh, changes in the Earth's orbit, volcanic eruptions on a planetary scale. This time, it's probably us. Otherwise, it's the mother of all coincidences. Here's a, uh, a graphic from NASA, and this tracks the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere going back 800,000 years. This is from ice core samples in Greenland and Antarctica. They can literally get a slice for each year and measure the amount of CO2. And it shows that spike in recent years higher than it's been in probably 4 million years. And it's the rate of warming. So in all probability, this time around, the reason the climate is changing and warming on a planetary scale is us, the release of greenhouse gases, fossil fuels. Yep. You have another slide to talk about the warming as well and speak to that. Right. And, and look, it's counterintuitive. People say, well, Paul, I'm cold today. How can the planet be warming yeah. if I have to wear a jacket? Yeah. And, and they're indignant. And, and I get that. No, we want to move. <laughs> and nine out of ten Minnesotans think a warmer Minnesota is a good idea. Yeah, it makes right? sense. Woo! <laughs> but here's the thing, and, and this shows the warming on, on a global level um, since about 1880. And most of the greenhouse gas warming has been since about 1990. Half of the additional greenhouse gases, every time we use fossil fuels, uh, it has added to that number. And you warm up the atmosphere, it can hold more water vapor, and the result of that is more flooding. When it rains, it tends to rain harder. So we've always had extremes. Since the dawn of time, we've had extremes. The extremes are trending more extreme and more often, more disruptions. Yep. And that's how people are noticing the fact that, yeah, maybe something is going on, Maybe we should pay attention. One of the things I appreciate about your voice is that you integrate the faith and the science. And over the last few years, we've been able to get to know each other, and you've invited me to be a guest. I'm a, I've been a reluctant participant, but I've been taken back by the freedom that you have on WCCO in your afternoon program to actually speak openly about faith as well as science and how they work together. And I think about my own decades of living, it seemed like faith and science were always a debated reality, and now it seems like there's more of a dance. There's more of a rhythm and interface and acceptance of the two. How, how do you 
connect around the relationship with faith and science. We got a bit of that in your video story as well. Pastor Joel, I don't think you have to choose. I think you can have a respect for science and a faith in something more, a faith in absolutes. It's interesting to me as a scientist, there's never any firm foundation, right? New theories, new observations, better tools, you know, things shift. And yet there are absolutes. We have an absolutely amazing God that we worship through his son. And so I don't see any uh, contradiction in that. I have a slide. This is from Apollo 12. This was Christmas Eve, and they were coming back from the moon, and James Lovell actually uh, issued a prayer on nationwide television. In fact, it, it went out worldwide on Christmas Eve. And it's interesting to me, these astronauts trained, you know, the training is just unbelievable. We can't even imagine. But um, many of them were agnostic or atheists, and they came back spiritual. They came back transformed, changed, having seen the earth from that vantage point. I, um, look, I don't worship creation. I worship the creator. I worship God when I protect his kingdom and defend his children. And all of us have a ministry. All of us have a voice. We were created in God's image. He gave us big, beautiful brains. Well, most of us. (laughs) (laughs) The ability to think and reason and use logic and make things better. God gave us a toolbox with an infinite number of tools. That's science. I do not worship a toolbox. I worship the creator who gave us the toolbox. It is possible again, to respect science and the scientific method and still be a Christ follower. Yeah, I appreciate the image that you put up there. Just beautiful, number one. But if creation declares the glory of God, communicates his his presence, is evidence for his presence, and we see that on the earthly realm, I can only imagine what that would be like to be on the moon taking that in. I could see where there would be a life change. In my little meditation there, I spoke about how Um, there are many voices speaking out on this issue, sometimes debating, sometimes controversial, but I spoke specifically about the fact that creation speaks, it groans, looking for renewal. And I think about the, the voice of God's created order and that we need to listen to that voice. What is God's nature saying to us about the changes that are taking place? It's all about the data, Joel, and there's a tidal wave of evidence and it gets stronger every year. I've started seven companies in Minnesota. If I ignore data that makes me nervous or uncomfortable, I will go out of business. So you have to keep an open mind, Mm -hmm. even if it makes you squirm. (laughs) And um, here's some of the data that, that actually spoke to me. This is from the National Weather Service from NOAA. The percentage of the U.S. in extreme flood or drought, it's called the Climate Extreme Index. And you can see, by the way, climate never moves in a perfectly straight line. But since the 60s, we've gone from about 15% of the U.S. to closer to 40% of the U.S. every year experiencing either extreme flood or extreme drought. The same with, with precipitation, with rain during the summer, When it rains, it often rains harder. A majority of our mega floods in Minnesota, countywide floods, 8, 10, 12, 20 inches of rain, a majority of those floods have occurred since the year 2000. 
So we're sort of supercharging, turbocharging the floods that would have occurred naturally. Again, we've had big floods yep. since the dawn of time, but this warmer atmosphere is also a wetter atmosphere, and it's creating more of these flood events. How, how about the Twin Cities specifically? Are we impacted? I know everybody's impacted, but how are we impacted? How do we do compared to the rest of the United States? We're in better shape compared to Florida and Arizona and much of the Western U.S. I tell my friends... I just want to say feel good about it, okay? <laughs> this gives me no pleasure. Actually, it gives me a little pleasure. My friends who've moved to Arizona and, yeah. and Florida, many of them will be back mm. because much of the southern U.S. and the western U.S. especially oh, is, is vulnerable to these supercharged hurricanes. Yep. We're seeing these stronger hurricanes now before landfall. And, and the western U.S. with the wildfires burning longer and hotter, and we're seeing some of that here. We're seeing more wildfire smoke in the summer in Minnesota. All things considered, we are in better shape than much of the planet. We've been blessed in that regard. But we're, we're seeing some of the effects here as well. And we should pay attention. I don't think there's anything political in acknowledging reality. Yeah. We should be debating policy. What do we do? Right. In fact, Peter Drucker says the essential characteristic of a leader is their ability to define reality and then do something about it. Seems like we've been spending decades trying to define the reality and the shift now is what are we doing about it? And there's a lot that's happening. And you've done a lot of research on this and your vantage point, what are some of the priority global challenges to the planet and to the people? And I wanted you to hear that it's both and. Creation care is not just about the created order, it's its impact on people. And what rises to the surface for you? 10 million people worldwide die prematurely every year because of air pollution. 40% of Americans are breathing unhealthy air every day. Uh, many of them have asthma, respiratory problems. Over half of our lakes in this country are still too polluted to swim in or to fish in. Hmm. In the Pacific, there's plastic, an area of plastic the size of Texas in the middle of the Pacific. We should probably figure out what to do about that. So what can we do to have everything we want in this country and supercharge the economy and create more jobs while putting a lighter footprint on the only home we have. And we don't own this, as you said. Yeah. You know, we lease everything. We're, yeah. we're just passing through, and we have an obligation to hand this off to our kids and give them hope that they can enjoy the same things that we've had. Paul allowed me to do this. He, he didn't want me to do it, but I said, I'm going to do that after what you've put me through this last year on the radio. You're great on the radio, but no, I don't he, know why. This is much more terrifying than being on the radio. I take this any day over to get to the radio because it's a different world order, right? So you just came out with this book. You gave me a copy of it, A Kid's Guide, Saving the Planet. It's not hopeless, and we're not helpless. I like the hopefulness of it, and you have some great specific um, examples of what we can do. We don't have a lot of time, but take a minute here and just... Explain the book, its motivation, and where the help and the hope comes from. Thank you. Um, I have a new grandson. He's, well, he's two years old, Jordan, and he lives in Chanhassen. And I'm so thrilled that he's here with his mom and dad. And my uh, Navy son just getting out of the Navy. In fact, he's a helicopter pilot. Yeah, thank you for that. Fred, stand up. Come on, stand up. 
<laughs> I identify with your reluctance. Brett, <laughs> Brett went to the Naval Academy. He's yeah. had three tours of duty, a helicopter pilot, worked at the Pentagon here with his amazing new wife, Carla. Yeah. And uh, they had a backyard wedding, by the way, a couple of years ago during the COVID, pandemic. Yeah. And now they're going to have a real wedding in Santa Fe this summer. But I, I worry about my grandkid. I worry about their kids, I worry about your kids and your grandkids, that they can enjoy the same things that many of us take for granted here in Minnesota. We should not take anything for granted. Not enough water, too much water, uh, polluted streams and rivers. You know, will our waters be too warm for walleye fishing? I like to fish, and I, I worry about that. And so I wanted to counter some of the gloom and doom. The science is in here. It's an illustrated book but it's really focused on solutions yep. and careers and trying to empower kids because our most precious natural resource is not batteries. It's our kids, kids yeah. because they're gonna be the ones that come up with solutions to give us everything we want, lighter footprint on the only home we have. Love it, and it's a good read. I, I've read it and it's written for kids, it was perfect. I think the average reading age of a 40-year-old is fifth grade, so it's perfect for everybody. <laughs> okay, Paul, you have 15 seconds. Final word to the West. 15 West. seconds? 15 really? seconds. Final um, word. Look, it, again, it's good to be skeptical. Thank you for having me here, Joel. If you don't believe the, the scientists, you don't believe the meteorologists, you don't believe the pastors, uh, do yourself, do your kids, do your grandkids, your future grandkids a favor and believe your own eyes because the symptoms of a warming world are going to be harder to dismiss and deny over time. We're sort of seeing the tip of the iceberg. We're going to be in better shape here than much of the planet in Minnesota. We will be a refuge. But at the end of the day, I'm optimistic and our kids are going to lead the way. And that's the one thing I think we can all agree on. We love our kids. We love our grandkids. It's good. We want the best for them. And if you ignore this or think it's hype or, you know, some sort yeah. of a hoax, yeah. you're making it harder for your kids. And so just keep an open mind, keep your eyes wide open, and um, look for ways to make things better. All of us have a voice. All of us have a ministry. You know how on the radio you do this for me? <laughs> Get the hook. Would you say thank you to Paul? This would be great. You've been terrific, Paul. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joel. Just join me for a prayer here, too, would you please? Would you stand, everybody? Um, hey, by the way, we do have a service week coming up, and it's our, our first full week of service that we've done since COVID, at least. And it's May 16th through the 21st. We're going to be cleaning parks. We have 20 locations. We're going to be planting trees. I don't know all the things we're doing. There's a lot of different things we're going to be about, and some of them relate to taking care of the earth. So go to our website. All the details are there. Join me in prayer. Thank you, God, for the gift of Paul being with us today. You've purposed him and each of us to be your stewards managers of the beautiful world that you've given to us. We want to do well with that so that you would be honored and that people would be helped. So come alongside of us to that end that we would seek to honor you in all things. We give thanks for this time to learn, to be better stewards. May we be that to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Everybody, enjoy your week. We'll look forward to seeing you and be good stewards of God's creation.